Over the last two years, there's been a decreasing of investors, total investors that are renting out properties in our market. This is very alarming for everyone. The crazy thing is when we look at how many, what our shortfall and potential new dwellings is going to be, it's nearly a quarter of the national shortfall that's projected. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. So, let's take a deep dive into some very important stats to paint the picture for you. Uh, When I look at the lending activity that we experienced during some of our past peaks in the market, we had a significant surge in home buyer lending and most recently the peak of that home buyer lending looks to have been in February 2021. That's when everyone kind of got used to COVID, got out the other side of it and was all excited to go spend some money and surge up and it almost occurred across every capital city in Australia at that time. And I'm not sure there's been too many times in history where we've been going hard everywhere. And so in Perth, we actually had $2.396 billion of lending peak in February 2021. And that was the year to February 2021. So a massive amount of lending. And when we go back and look at previous peaks where home buyers have been really active and taking out lots of lending, those peaks were in June 2014 when we had $1.893 billion and September 2009 when we had $1.733 billion. Also had some other peaks in June 2007 with $1.64 billion in July 06 with $1.58 billion. And when I look back over those uh, years from 2006 onwards to 2023, what we're talking about there is 17-odd years that we're encompassing those peaks in. And I'm looking over almost a 20-year sort of period here. It's what I can see is those successive peaks have gotten higher. The 1.58, to 1.64, 1.73, 1.89, and then 2.39 billion as the peak in February 2021. So you'd expect that as well because house prices have drifted up over that period. And so there'd be more lending required to get your house. And when home buyers are at peak activity, that's the kind of levels that they've hit. And I must say the most recent one was very significant when we look back compared to the other peaks. does seem to be not just accounting for higher house prices, but also a lot more activity. So how does that home buyer lending activity compare to investor lending activity? There was also peaks for investors in those same years, and they differed only by a few months. So there was one in June 06, June 07. They, they were virtually the same time periods as the owner occupiers. November 09, which is just 
three months later, but two months later than the peak in home buyer activity, September 2014. So that was roughly three months later than the peak in um, home buyers. And March 22 is when the investor peak occurred. But when I say peak, it's been relatively flat and sideways since that point. So, but and hasn't like continued to go to new highs. So at the moment, seems like it's the peak for this period anyway. And when I look at the relative amounts of lending to get a feel for how did investors compare to home buyers in their relative activity and have investors been sort of growing in their levels over these years or and how does the most recent compare so we've had 1.128 billion in Juno 6 1.077 billion Juno 7 0.89 billion in November 09 so not as big September 14 we had 1.011 billion and March 22 We've been at around that 0.725 billion. So when I compare that with the home buyer levels, it never gets anywhere close, but maximum it usually gets to is around two thirds the home buyer level. And when I look back over the trend in these sort of investor borrowing levels, it hasn't continued to get to increase over time like the home buyers have. We actually had our highest investor lending year in June 06, which had a 1.128 billion. And we've had our lowest investor lending year in March 22 with 0.725 billion. So home buyers have very much driven our growth over the last couple of years relative to investors. And investors have not really join the party here yet in Perth. It's what's clear from that. It is still a pretty high figure and there is a lot of activity, but it's really only at around two-thirds the level that it's been at in each of our previous highs of investor activity that we've had in the past. And what I do know is that of the 20 to 25 investors that we see, coming to us for property management each month, having just bought a property, an investment property, and looking to rent it out, only about two to three of these 20 to 25 investors each month, these new clients, are locals. Just two to three. That's about 10% of the total activity that we're personally seeing as with our property management side of the business, which is tiny. When I speak to other finance brokers and speak to other buyer's agents, locals are also the minority. So it's not just what we're seeing as a business, others are seeing this across the board. Locals have not yet joined the investing party in any great extent. And this makes me believe that it could still be a tipping point when locals finally see enough growth in their existing homes and their investment properties, if they already have one, the buzz gets around at barbecues. They tell their friends, hey, look, I'm doing really great in property. Get into, come to the party too. And I believe that there's 
potential still for a lot more investors to come. Whereas the East Coast investors have believed in that potential, they've already been buying here for two to three years. They've already been experiencing, you know, great gains. And it's always the people that get in first and sooner that get more of that upside. And the other thing that I think may happen is if we don't get all these locals join the party to any great extent, is that I think alternatively we may just have a longer and more sustained period of purchasing by investors as opposed to a sharp rise, which we typically saw in the past. I think the rising interest rates have dampened what rise we may have otherwise seen. So it's dampened off that peak and might be spread out longer because we still represent value. We still represent great rental yields. So it could just mean that investors continue to buy in Perth over a longer period of time because think about what that peak does. A peak of activity drives up prices quickly that drives down rental yields and it then becomes no longer as attractive and so the activity starts to go down and ceases. But because we're not getting that strong drive up as quick, I think it's going to represent value and a buying opportunity for longer, spread that curve out. One of those two things will happen. We'll either hit the tipping point or spread it out for longer. Now, let's take a look back in the past as to how the median house price highs have actually compared, where have they been at for price and when have they occurred? Because I've primarily just been looking at the activity. Now, what we actually had in Perth is from 1993 till approximately 2007, we had almost continual growth. And the median house price in 1993 was 100 thousand dollars wouldn't you love to go back and buy a few houses then and by the time we got to 2007 when we hit a peak for a while we hit 475,000 so significant growth over that period we then hit another peak in 2010 at 500,000 so they struck highly correlate and well directly correlate with the the peaks in the lending activity, which I previously mentioned, which was uh, there was one in 2007, there was one at the end of 2009. So by the time the median price showed, it would have been 2010. And then we had a further peak in the median house price at 545,000 in 2015. And yet the peaks in now in lending activity was June and September of 14. So median house price showed up. 2015 as its peak, 545. And then the final peak we've most recently hit in 2023, we finally got back above our previous median house price high of two, in 2015. We've just hit 555,000. So when we consider that the median house price in Perth is still only 10,000 higher than when we were in 2015 and that we're still the lowest priced capital city, this still all points to much further growth potential ahead for me. And it really gels in with my observations around 
the investor activity still showing that they haven't joined the party in any great extent, especially the locals. Now, when I take a look back in the trends of growth and how our cycles have worked, I want to explore not just how Perth has trended, but there's a significant relationship between how all the capitals move together. And what we can see is that from 2001 to 2011, the decade from 2001 to 2011, Brisbane, Perth, and Adelaide, and Canberra all top the list with the highest average annual growth rates. So if anyone says that Perth hasn't ever performed well, they're completely wrong. From that decade, we had the second highest average annual growth rate at 11.7% per year. That was a fabulous time to have just bought in early 2000. And Brisbane had topped it with 11.8%, so only 0.1% higher than us. Adelaide was third with 11.1% and Canberra 10.7%. And do you know who bottomed the list? Well, it was Sydney with 6.7% per annum average growth rate for that decade and Central Coast with 6% per annum. So you need to take a long-term view when you look at how cities perform and anyone that just focuses on a single decade is not getting the whole picture because they'd come away maybe from this decade thinking, oh, Sydney's done really bad, Central Coast has done really bad, Perth's the place to be, Brisbane's the place to be, let's chuck all our money in there. And some investors did that. When we then look at the next decade from 2011 to 2021, guess what cities have topped the list for growth? Central Coast topped the list for growth and it was the the worst performing capital area in the 2001 to 2011. Next decade, it's the best performing capital area with 9.2% per annum average annual growth rate. Sydney was second top performer when it was actually second worst performer in the previous decade. And when we go down the list, where is Perth? Well, Perth, Brisbane and Adelaide that performed the best in the 2001 to 2011 period all performing the worst in 2011 to 2021 period, with Perth being on the bottom of that pile with just 1.3% per annum average annual growth rate. Adelaide with 3.7, Brisbane with 4.9. So if you could imagine, everything has switched places virtually. Those that underperformed have then outperformed. Those that have outperformed have then underperformed when we look across 20 years, and it's really eye-opening that and shows us that high growth cannot continue indefinitely and that buyers will follow value, increasing prices and balancing out growth towards the long-term average, and they call it mean reversion, so reverting back towards the mean and it's really worth understanding because when we look ahead, what do you think, what top three capital cities do you think they'll be over the next decade? It's a pretty decent chance that it's going to be the bottom three from the last decade. I, if I was a betting man, I'd place that bet and I certainly am. So Perth, will we see a top growth over the next decade? Certainly looking like that could do so. Adelaide, and Brisbane, who perform worst, have already had significant surges in going into 
this next decade from 2022 onwards. And Perth has started to show signs of doing very well, but hasn't yet really showed up on the median house price anyway that it's been surging. So that's another reason why I think that the average annual growth will revert towards the mean and why there is so much potential in Perth. And when I consider all the fundamentals and everything else pointing to it, this is another reason why I'm so bullish on Perth. Now, if, it, if the potential for the next decade is so great, why are local investors selling up? I've been asking myself this question. And let's take a look at some of the stats. So analyzing the government-issued data on rental bonds, the Real Estate Institute of WA has determined that the pool of rental properties has actually fallen to 219,679, that's total rental properties in WA, at the end of March. And there's actually been a decrease by 861 properties so far in 2023 and almost 5,000 in the past 12 months, there's been a decrease of, of rental properties. So owners selling and not being offset by new investors buying in. So that's a decreasing of the rental pool. And that's on top of, over the last two years, there has been a fall by 19,000 rental properties in the rental pool. So that's significant. That is approximately 10% drop in the total number of properties that are available for rent. And you only need to think for one second why our rental market is so tight and in crisis and vacancy rates are next to zero and tenants aren't able to readily find places. And, you know, it's just horrible for, for them and, and it's a, a really bad state for us to be in. So this hasn't happened overnight. Over the last two years, there's been a decreasing of investors, total investors that are renting out properties in our market. All the East Coast investors that are buying in that we're seeing are not offsetting the locals that are selling out. And it's mainly locals that are selling out. So Western Australia, as they say, Real Estate Institute here, we appear to be on a concerning trajectory with housing supply in general, as highlighted in the recent report by the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation, which estimates that it, we would face a shortfall of 25,200 new properties by 2027. So this is very alarming for everyone and it's going to require you know 25,200 new dwellings. And the crazy thing is, when we look at how many, what our shortfall and potential new dwellings is going to be, it's nearly a quarter of the national shortfall that's projected, and we're only 10% of the Australia's total population. So 10% of the population with 25% of the shortfall in housing seems like a recipe for demand to get, keep exceeding supply. So why are investors selling? Let's keep going into this. Well, when I'm speaking to the clients that I'm selling for, over the last year, I've sold approximately 80 properties, helped a lot of clients get really great prices when they are selling and do it without stress. And obviously, I'm chatting to them about what are their reasons for selling, why they're looking at selling and selling now. And I'm trying to make sure that it makes sense for the people that I'm selling for. They know that there could potentially be growth ahead 
and that it really checks out and they're not just doing it out of, uh, you know, spur of the moment thinking. So I can't say that every other selling agent is doing that. If a normal selling agent hears from an owner thinking of selling, of course, they're just going to put it on the market and often don't even try to maximize that price and don't even, you know, challenge the thinking or look at, is it really the best thing as part of their overall plan and how do we change our timing up to get the best price possible? So why are people selling? Well, the increasing holding costs is getting to some people with interest rates going up. Some of them are accidental landlords and they always plan to sell and they were just waiting for the market to get better. They couldn't afford to sell previously. Maybe the price drop on their property could have been too great for them to clear their loan or for them to get enough back that they put in. So they've always planned to sell. When prices get back, they can get out and it doesn't suit their longer term plan to keep the property. That's a big portion of people too. Some people have bought an inferior property that's likely to keep underperforming, so they're getting out while they can. Others are preparing for retirement, so there's a lot of people I've been helping cash in a property, put some extra money in super, or have some extra liquidity ready for retirement. Other reasons. People, and these last two I want to go into in much greater depth. So people are feeling a real lack of control over their property. There's been a lot of governmental policies that are negative that are coming into this as well. And now let's recap some of these negative government policies and just paint a bit of a picture as to how these would have been affecting the negative sentiment of investors over the last decade. And this isn't just happening to Perth investors, it's happening across the board and that's why we're also seeing a shortfall and a decrease of investors in other states as well. More are selling than are buying in. And I think these government policies are a huge reason as to what is contributing to that negativity and why many investors are feeling they don't have control over their property. So let's recap some. So in 2014, APRA made the bank's make lending harder to investors. So that really stopped a lot of it, it, investors buying in. Lending became a lot harder. 2016, APRA limited interest only lending to investors, so limited it. And it basically required a full application to change loan types. So when we an investor had an interest only loan, used to just be able to extend the period. They didn't need to take a full application on things as far as I can remember and it was a lot easier to stay on interest only lending these days they test you to make sure that you can afford principal and interest in many cases you have to make a full application to basically get another five-year interest only term 2017 depreciation that was claimable was significantly reduced not allowing claiming of fixtures and fittings uh, if you didn't, if you were not, were not the one to install them. So that really wiped off a lot of appreciation tax benefits that were claimable for people. 2019, Labor with their bright ideas threatened to remove negative gearing and was attributed with them losing the election. So hopefully they don't have any other ideas about that but it did scare a lot of investors that this could be a possibility of them taking it away they're stuck with people 2021 
banks increased lending buffers to 3% from, I think, 2.5 or 2, and that's making it a lot harder, especially with increasing interest rates, to it's limiting our borrowing, basically, because they're stress testing things on a much higher interest rate. If current interest rate borrowing is 6, they're testing it at principal and interest repayments on 9%, which makes it a lot harder and is limiting borrowing to people. 2023. There's been proposed changes to Residential Tenancies Act across the various states of Australia, and there's also been talk of rental freezes or caps, particularly in the other states. And when the average investor or potential investor is just watching the news, it can be very confusing as to whether these directly apply to them in Perth or whether it's news from the East Coast and all this negativity and scaremongering can really affect buyers from wanting to get in. So that coupled with the decreasing borrowing capacity, there's many investors that would actually like to buy if they could, but they're not in a position to buy as much as they previously were able to. And some of them feel like they're losing control with changes through Residential Tenancies Act and these negative government policies that keep keep happening or threatening to happen. So when I actually look through to where are we at in WA, Perth, relative to the other states, I think we've actually got it really good so far. Touch wood that it's going to stay that way, but I don't know every detail of all the government policy changes in every other state. I certainly know that WA seems to have a much more reasonable and manageable levels of reforms and changes compared to what we've seen getting proposed and passed in Queensland, Victoria and the ACT. New South Wales seems to be really steady as she goes at the moment. Can't find any major changes for them, but don't know their market intimately. So our proposed Residential Tenancies Act changes are discussed Back in a past episode, they're very reasonable. Really, the changes are limited to we're not able to increase any more rent any more than once a year. There's extra flexibility for tenants with pets and uh, making minor changes. But the main thing that has been kept for landlords is we're still allowed a no grounds termination, which means we can finish up a lease for any reason. And that's especially important because There's many reasons that we might want to continue not renting to a tenant that doesn't necessarily warrant a breach or, you know, an eviction, but that we might not be happy with how they're treating the property or how they've been paying rent, other things overall, uh, the relationship might not be good with the tenancy. So it's easier just to finish things up and we shouldn't have to be be as severe as evicting someone if just to end a tenancy, which is looking like being the case in Victoria and in other parts of Australia, they could be trying it. So hopefully as well, with our state budget being in surplus so strongly, we won't be looking at any changes to increase land tax. We saw in Queensland, they made some crazy land tax changes that they proposed and then they were you know, pulled back and re- repealed Two months later, it's looking like in well in Victoria they've just passed higher land tax to investors. Thank you very much. And it's looking like our state government 
also understands that rental freezes and caps are ridiculously short-sighted and I'm hoping that the federal government doesn't buckle under the pressure from the Greens Party, which might the Greens Party's trying to get the federal government to put pressure on the states to pass, you know, rental caps and rental freezes. And they're currently holding the federal government to ransom on passing their affordable housing plan, which makes absolutely no sense because they're preventing affordable housing, saying that rental freezes and caps are the answer. Clearly not the answer. It's just going to discourage investors from going into the states that where this is passed and make the rental crisis even worse. So thankfully, Albanese's government seems to be holding firm and hopefully they can find another way to get their affordable housing plan through and not buckle to the Greens' ransom demands. So we really do have it great here in Perth so far. We've got reasonable changes that we can work with to the Residential Tenancies Act. We've got no land tax changes that I can see on the agenda, um, as is the case in other states with them increasing and putting a lot of investors off. And hopefully, providing we don't get federal government pressure or forced to, we can avoid having you know rental freezes or rental caps because really it's a short-sighted thing that's not going to benefit you know the supply of rental properties and help the rental crisis and i hopefully government and our state government seems to understand that that's the case so my advice is forget the short-term noise even with the government interference and negative media that you see perth property remains a great investment over the short and long term short term now especially longer term it's a great option as well I'm still seeing all signals and fundamentals supporting this. And I've covered the major shortage in housing that is being built in episode 138. And this lack of supply that's coming on is also going to keep pressure on rental and sale prices. So that's in the background supporting the increasing of established property prices and the increasing of rental prices. Until this supply issue can be solved, ultimately, it's another great solid fundamental underneath things. And if more investors actually continue to exit than they are buying into Perth, the rental crisis and prices will only get worse and providing that market forces are allowed to function will keep pushing rental prices up too. If governments step in and freeze these things a lot of investors are going to exit the problem's only going to get worse for you can't stop someone selling their rental property and as a long-term investor i wouldn't exit under any of those circumstances i would just wait it out write it out interest rates are going to hit their peak at some point start coming down as well it's going to make holding even easier and if a change as we've seen in the past if a change has adverse effect it can be repeat, repealed very quickly and changed again. So I wouldn't certainly be making a long-term 30-year decision by a short-term government policy. Governments can be replaced, things can be changed, and it wouldn't affect my investing decisions in the shorter term, but perhaps if it was clear that it's going to stay longer term and impact 
returns. I, I want to care about ultimately is returns for rental yield as well, and most importantly, returns for capital growth. So governments have to wake up at some point to the fact that they need investors and look to provide not only stability, but depending on how bad this gets, they'll potentially have to provide incentives, and that's what they should be looking. No state government or federal government yet has woken up that things are that bad that they actually need investors, they can't do it and pay for it themselves. And I look forward to the day that there'll potentially be incentives. So let's wait and see, shall we? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, hopefully this other this deep dive's given you some real insight into why local investors are late or leaving the party early and a deeper insight into the actual opportunity that does exist. I'd encourage you to push through because you'll be much better off if you do buy sooner rather than joining that party late. Thanks for joining me. Catch you on the next one. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.